And now, it's time for the podcast that Ian Landsman listens to in the shower. It's the Laravel News Podcast. This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello and welcome to the Laravel News Podcast. I'm Eric Barnes. And I'm Jack Frew. Eric, what do we have on the deck this week? So this week we have uh, a video that we're going to discuss from Adam Watham about test-driven Laravel from scratch, generating PDFs with PhantomJS, Laravel release process, Laravel and WordPress, and finally we're going to have an interview and talk about some backup stuff on how to back up your databases and your files. Awesome. So what's the first story of the week, Eric? So the test-driven Laravel from scratch was created by Adam Wathen. He posted it up on his blog. And basically, it's um, it came together from a presentation he gave at ZenCon called uh, Test-Driven Laravel. But during the conference, they actually recorded the talk, but they did not record the video. And he mm. did it. he did all live coding. So whenever they released it, you could just hear it, but you couldn't see it. So um, he decided to to re-record it and um, and post it up. And it's really, really well done. Yeah. If you haven't seen Adam's work before, I saw him at uh, Laracon last year, and his presentation was phenomenal. I think he was really the only person that went up and actually did live coding. But it was what impressed me wasn't even so much the live coding. Adam has a, I'm going to almost say he has a gift for looking at code and finding ways to simplify it. He took something that was fairly in my mind you know fairly complicated and i looked at it and said okay i can kind of understand i'd leave it right there and then he went through and just kind of refactored it a few times and by the end it was so simple and so obvious it was like yes that's what i need to do to everything i ever touch uh, I, I really like the work that he's done yes yes and uh if you want to get into testing definitely check out check out this video um it goes through a little dummy tweet app and it just goes through kind of like where would you start first and and it testing the uh, routes, the migrations, the you know your first model, your saving, all that all that type stuff. And um, but it's it's really well done, and I highly recommend checking that out. And it'll be in the show notes. We'll have it linked over. Sure, and you can always find those show notes over at Laravel-News.com. The actual individual podcast episodes, Eric, you post those as they come up. But if somebody wanted to see like a collection of all of them, you can go to podcast dot laravel newscom In fact, maybe that's where you're listening to this from right now. Uh, Adam's website is Adam Wathan. It's W-A-T-H-A-N dot M-E. And, and the video's on his site as well. So next up is uh, Philip Brown posted a tutorial. This was actually back in October of last year about uh, generating PDFs with uh, HTML and PhantomJS. And it came up again, I guess this week for me, was because I've been dealing with a lot of PDFs, like attaching them to emails and stuff. And I've always found them annoying. Have you uh, had any experience with uh, downloading PDFs in, P in PHP? I have, actually. Uh, I use a uh, library called PDF Lib, and it's ungodly expensive. I think it's about three grand for a license uh, to run on the server. Uh, the library is written in, I want it must be written in C because it's one of those like PDOs. So it's a little bit of a pain to configure because you have to, you know, you have to get into the PHP config. It's not like it's not like an all PHP thing, but uh, it works great. It's it just it's just expensive. I'd love to find an open source alternative. And I played around with a few of them uh, a few months ago, but every one of them seemed like they had some kind of trade offs. 
Uh, one thing I always think about is, you know, you can just print a PDF from Chrome, right? So sometimes, you know, like one of the paths I took in one of my applications was to just say, well, if I can just get the HTML to look good, the user can just go file print, right? So that's an option. But what did you find with this? Uh, this this is a JavaScript library, right? Right. Yes. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll say that in my project, we're actually using a PHP library called DOM PDF. Okay. Yeah, that's and, one of the ones I've tried. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got tons and tons of settings, and it's it's uh, it, it works okay. Um, but so what what ends up happening is it's very hard to style the PDFs and to get them to actually come out the way you really want them to. Yeah. And then so that's what this uh, tutorial takes over and you just generate the HTML and then you use PhantomJS, which is a, um, uh, I believe it's called a headless JavaScript uh, thing that just kind of grabs the, grabs the file, takes a picture of it and then, and then uses that, turns that into the PDF. Okay. I think uh, I think I might have read about this. Does it use like one of the popular web browser engines to render the image and capture it? Is that what it's doing? I think I think that sounds about right. Yeah. So I think what I think actually what it's doing here is it's uh, it's using Phantom JS to to basically capture the the web contents of of the HTML and all that. Sure. And then itself it, it converts that to the PDF. He actually says he got the idea from Cashier. Yeah, which is interesting. Do we do we know anybody who's uh, written a book on cashier? God, I'm trying to think of who who that might have been. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, and I do. I know we cover the PDFs, but basically, cashier handles it all, so we don't actually have to to do anything special. So that's yeah. pretty good there. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening, you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Eric himself actually co-authored a book on uh, on cashier, which is pretty awesome. So uh, shameless plug for Eric right there. Um, on my side, the one thing I will mention is uh, that PDF lib I was telling you about that's really expensive. One of the things that they had, which made it very attractive, is th- it comes with a plugin for Adobe Acrobat. And what you can do is open an existing PDF, and you can draw regions on the PDF that will then be replaceable at runtime. And that was really advantageous for us. We had a a federal tax form that we were trying to essentially repre- recreate in code. Well, we were able to find the PDF of the tax form. And then rather than us try to figure out all the ways of rendering that either in HTML and converting it or manually building it, you know, box by box, we were able to just use their form and overlay the numbers in this little grid of, uh, of cells that we put down. And it, it made it pretty painless other than, you know, paying the three grand. Right. <laughs> yeah. All, all the enterprise stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, next up, I think you mentioned, Eric, and you've got an article on this. And I thought this was really actually just interesting Laravel kind of uh, like, uh, what's the words? Not memorabilia, but you talked about the Laravel release cycle. And I thought that was really interesting. So tell us a little bit about that if, if someone hasn't read your article, because it was kind of neat. And it outlined, uh, I think, all the way through 2017, like what versions we should expect and about when. Right. Yes. Yeah, so with, of course, with the release of Laravel 5.1, it was the first to offer a long time support. And from that point, you know, that was back in June of 2015. And then just, you know, last month, Laravel 5.2 was released. And there was a lot of confusion about why is Laravel 5.2 not LTS? And um, so what it is, so what I just decided to do was try to outline, you know, exactly how the release process works. Um, there is a new release scheduled every six months. And, and it's basically what they consider a general release, which is uh, six months of bug fixes and one year of security fixes. And then every third year, um, actually every, every two years, there is a new LTS that'll be announced. So what that does is 
bug fix are provided for um, two years and then security fixes for three years. So there's always a little overlap there. Right. And I think the other thing, you know, because it's, it's, it's like it's almost like talking about time travel. You ever have a time travel discussion? You're like, well, if he was there then and he went back, then is he really there at the same time? Um, five two, even though it's not long term support as of right this moment, technically is just as good as long term support because it has every bug fix there's going to be right. The difference, really, we won't really see until 5.3 comes out. When 5.3 comes out, what's going to happen is 5.2 is going to be left in the wind, okay? Bug fixes and security fixes will continue to get backported to 5.1, and of course, they'll be in 5.3 because that'll be current at that point. 5.2 is left in the wind, right? Right. And then the same thing when 5.4 comes out, 5.2 and 5.3 are both left in the wind. 5.4 now has all the latest fixes, and those fixes are backported to 5.1. So what this really does is it, it makes... It gives you a version you can install for production and stick with, but it also helps tailor, right? If can you imagine trying to update, you know, these little fixes on every point release you've ever had? That would be tough. So there's really two ways of kind of maintaining this LTS. One, stick with five one and just continue to get those updates. But the other, if you if your project is such that you're able to always update to the latest version, then you will also always have all the bug fixes and everything like that. For some projects, that's practical, and for some projects, it's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on what kind of project it is. Yeah. I know our stuff is, uh, is we're on the 5.1 because we want to, we don't want to deal with it for three years and, and then we'll update then. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. So. It's especially if you're doing development, it's hard to develop if you've got a moving target. Right. And things do change. Right. Uh, speaking of upgrades, I, I re- just a side note, there's that, is it called lift or shift? What's that service that does that? Yeah. Laravel shift. I've, I've been reading a little bit, uh, you know, just tweets and stuff. It seems like people are liking that service. So, um, you know, I, I haven't tried it myself, but, we might have to get that guy on the show at some point and just, you know, have him talk about what it is that the thing does and what is, what is the magic sauce? How does that, how does that all work? You know? Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I've heard, I've heard good stuff. I haven't actually tried it out myself just because I haven't had an app to, to send over to it yet. But, uh, but if I can, if I find one, then, or maybe when 5.3 comes out, I'll, I'll update one of try. these 5.2 yeah. apps I have. Yeah. Um, so next up, we've got a discussion about Laravel and the most popular blogging platform in the world, WordPress. Uh, I haven't read the article, but Eric, you have. So hopefully you can tell us about it because I'm really interested in this. The, the idea of kind of combining uh, a very easy to use, you know, uh, uh, blog, WordPress, very popular with everybody's favorite, you know, PHP backend uh, Laravel. Uh, this is really intriguing. So what did you uh, what did you find out about that? So. The premise of this article is uh, basically I posted on Laravel News, but I was wanting a way of having just a simple, easy to use CMS for people that are not are not technically inclined. And WordPress is really nice for that because you know when you go to add a post, it already has the media manager, it already has you know all these features, and a lot of people have already used it, so they're comfortable with it. Um, so from there, I wanted to see how hard it would be to basically to use. WordPress as a back end and then Laravel as the front end. And that way I could integrate Cashier or um, Spark or anything like that and basically set up a little membership site. Um, so that kind of is what led me down this path. And uh, I just went through and kind of listed out all these different uh, packages and plugins that would either integrate with the WordPress API or the um, it actually integrates with the WordPress database itself through like Eloquent Models. Um, so and there was actually way more than I realized, which is kind of kind of cool. But yeah, you don't, you don't I, actually hear about them a lot. 
So I see now based on looking at your, when I just skimmed the article earlier, I thought it was all kind of like one continuous project, but you've actually identified these are different projects that you found that offer some level or another of integration, right? Mm-hmm. And it looks like you've got one, two, three, is there four? Four of them on there. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, four. And then there's actually, there's a few more links so like a down few the more bottom. at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, for me, I actually tried the, um, let's see, which one was it? It was the WordPress to Laravel, which basically you take a WordPress.com blog, you know, which is hosted on yeah. Word, WordPress's servers. And then through their REST API, it basically just has a uh, console command that syncs your post to a local database. So everything's really separated, but it'll just kind of automatically sync itself up. And uh, it worked pretty well. Um, the other ones I tried, they they worked pretty good as well with the uh, like the, the WordPress Eloquent. Yeah, that looks neat. There's this uh, this wrapper for yeah. uh, the WordPress database that basically allows exposes them all in Eloquent, right? Uh, right. And the examples they have are, if you're familiar with Eloquent, uh, you, you know, you, then, then this will make sense to you. If you're new to Laravel, this this maybe doesn't. But it, it just, you know, you have like a post object and then there's like post type page get, you know, post status publish get. I mean, like it looks pretty easy. Like it's pretty neat. Right. So, uh, yeah, the only thing I ran into with those was the WordPress database structure is trying to figure it all out because of how it stores uh, the post and the pages all together. But then it has uh all these taxonomy tables and like you know if i want to pull out by a tag or whatever so yeah so that was all that's why i was like well i'm just going to do this one that syncs exactly the way i want it to sync and uh and be done with it so awesome. um, but yeah definitely check out some of these if you're ever going to work with wordpress um you know it might make your life easier and um and you get all the benefits of Laravel. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, for our next segment, I've been working on, uh, you know, this event website that I'm trying to put together for this. Uh, you know, I'm holding this event called PHP Saturday that's coming up on April 30th. And one of the things I've been trying to do is get this Laravel backend written so people can submit sessions. And kind of as part of that, I did some things uh, this last week that are important things and, and mostly uh, around backups, right? So I uh, I looked at this automatic backup package and then we also have a conversation with uh and i can't say his name so i'm gonna let him introduce himself with uh this gentleman that made this it's, open source package i'll, I'll, I think, I'll butcher his name it's okay. uh, frank mers <laughs> <laughs> so um so he developed an open source package and uh, we've got an interview with him uh right now so let's let him tell you about that and then we'll come back and talk about automatic and talk about how they're how they're different and where whether where each one might fit into your backup strategy I'm really excited on this week's show. We've got a, a special guest who has written a Laravel backup package that looks pretty awesome. Uh, this gentleman is from Belgium. And uh, it's, in order for me not to spoil uh, his his name by saying it wrong, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. So uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how to pronounce your name, sir. Hi, uh, I'm uh, Frick. Uh, the, that's the, the right pronunciation. Uh, Americans can pronounce it as, uh, as Freak, but it's actually Freak. Uh, I'm a developer at uh, at a company called Spasi, and we specialize in uh, in Laravel development, and we put up put out uh, a lot of uh, open source packages. Uh. That's awesome. And the URL for your packages, I've got it right open in case somebody's interested in looking at it. Is it's http s p a t i e dot b e slash open source slash Laravel, and there's there's a ton of packages on there. So. Uh, today, I'm hoping to have you talk about the Laravel backup package. 
especially, uh, you know, maybe you have some comments about this whole thing that happened with Linode a few weeks back and uh, the importance of backing up and things that maybe people might not think about when they're setting up a backup package. So tell us a little bit about the package. How did it come to be? And, and what should people know about the package? What does it do for us? Obviously, it backs up. Are there any special features about it that you'd want people to know about? Well, the, the backup package is uh, basically uh, one of the, the first packages uh, we've made. It's, uh, I think, now uh, a year or maybe uh, a little older. And we made it when we made the jump from, uh, from uh, putting up our projects on shared hosting to something like, uh, like DigitalOcean. And if you use shared hosting, your hoster will probably manage, manage the backups. And if he doesn't, you, you should find other shared hosting. But on something like DigitalOcean, you're really, uh, on your, on your own. Uh, they, pro they provide backups, but they, uh, do it, I think, uh, one, once a week. And if you solely rely on that, uh, and, and something happens, then you uh, got to go back a week in, in time and you, you really can't uh, tell your, your clients, I've, I've lost all the data from, for a week. Sure. And I think one of the things that, uh, that we've kind of, you know, has been brought to light with even this Linode attack is that you may not want your backup to be in the hands of your machine provider, right? You no. might want that somewhere else so that if the machine provider has problems like Linode did, that, you know, you can, you can get to your backup anyway. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I think uh, in Linode and DigitalOcean is the same. They uh, they allow you to to take the snapshots, and uh, a backup is basically a snapshot. But you can't that uh, get that image out of the data center. So if that if that data center is down, you don't have any backup at all. So if it is down, you you can't even move your site to 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 something else. Right. And I remember hearing Taylor say that he ran into almost that exact same problem. He had these. Uh, backups but they were somewhat tied to you know that machine being there so yeah uh, you know that that happened to him recently with forge right so yeah tell us a couple of uh you know like maybe key points about your backup solution that you know that you're really proud of things that it does that maybe people wouldn't think to do but they should well this uh this backup package i think the the main benefit is that you uh that it is integrated into your uh, laravel application so uh, you can basically do a, a composer uh, require and pull it in into your own project and then in uh, in uh, in artisan you get this command uh, to to make a backup uh, now when you set set package up you can choose which file should be should be backed up and if uh, the the database should be should be part of the of the backup and then you can choose uh, to which file system uh, the backup uh, has to be copied and it leverages uh, Laravel's uh, cloud file system so you can backup uh, your site to, to something like S3 or Dropbox uh, or your, your, your local file system or, or multiple file system systems at once and I think that uh, backuping to, to multiple file system is, is really a, a good idea that if uh, if one provider goes goes down, you still have the other where where your backups are residing. I agree with you hundred percent. And for my home stuff, I've got multiple backups. You know, I back up to uh, you know I have a Mac, so I back up to Time Machine, but I also use a cloud-based backup and then some important documents. I keep another copy on Dropbox and things like that. So um yeah. yeah, I it's it's really unfortunate, but boy, it sure seems like when 
something goes wrong, it always seems to go wrong in more than one place at a time. So it's yeah. definitely <laughs> a good to have uh, have that that flexibility. Now, yeah. I think uh, I've looked at your package before. the The way that you support these different um, destinations, these are all kind of out of the box Laravel uh, the the file system that that he uses, which I think is Fly System, right? Yeah, yeah. Underlying it's uh, it's Frank the youngest uh, Fly System uh, that is used. So any of the providers for Fly System can be interchanged with your backup system. And if, for example, like right now we have, you know, we have uh, OneDrive and we have Dropbox and we have Box. If some new fangled thing came out tomorrow, as long as there was a Fly System driver for it, your your tool would work with that without any updates at all. Correct? Yeah, that is correct. You basically have to uh, uh, compose or require the new the new driver the underlying driver and then the backup package can just work as usual there's no uh extra things needed uh, okay so that that'll just just work now is your is your backup package strictly a manual package that somebody kicks off by running like an artisan command or is there a uh, a way to schedule it how, how have you handled that for your own stuff well, the 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 package it's itself provides uh, only uh, a command that you have to uh, run manually, but it's it's really easy to create uh, a, a scheduled command as well. Okay. I think you basically have to uh, uh, create a, a scheduled command in in your Laravel application and just call artisan call backup run from there, and then okay. you have then you have then you have scheduled it. But what we also do on our project is. Uh, is we uh, uh, make a backup when we, when we do a deployment. So uh, right before the deployment is made to the server, we we create one extra backup for for when it it goes wrong. Oh, so okay. You, so if you're using something like uh, like Envoy, you can uh, just put a PP artisan task in there, and then yeah, then it's uh, formed when you do uh, a deployment. Oh, that's pretty smart. And that way, if your deployment uh does some damage to your database that you weren't anticipating you've got a copy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and then, that's the idea. And then the backups that you make, are they just like SQL dump files? Like if somebody had to recover from these, they wouldn't do that through this package, right? At that point, they would take a file and go yeah. to the command prompt. Yeah. That's something uh, that, uh, that should be done manually. The, the package, what it will do is it will uh, zip the, the SQL file and all the files you want, want, uh, want backups into, into one zip file. And we'll copy that to the file system uh, you want. But once it it has done that, then its job is uh, is really finished. There isn't okay. really something to to make a make a restore. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned that it, obviously it does the database, but it also will do uh, files off the file system as well, right? So you could yeah. do your your public directory or wherever you keep files that maybe are uploaded, like images and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Default configuration of the package provides some uh, same configuration for that. It will um, backup everything except, like, I think, uh, the the vendor path because the the vendor path you can just uh, recreate that by running composer uh, install. But sure. I think by default it will backup all the rest and zip it. Okay, uh, awesome. That's uh, um, that's the idea. One question is on notifications and things like that. Is there any kind of uh, like does this uh, backup tool do any kind of like an email notification when it's done or anything, or or if it doesn't, you know, how have you handled that in your own use of this uh, of the solution? Well, there isn't uh, really a notification system in place. It uh, just puts a message on uh, on the console 
uh, when it has finished its job or when it, uh, when there was a problem taking uh, taking the backup. But I think if you schedule the command and uh, you put uh, a try uh, catch block around it, you can um, do your own notification in in the catch in the catch block. Okay. So that's something to be aware of when you're choosing uh, this package. There isn't really a notification in it when it when it goes wrong. Sure. I, you know, I, I I vaguely remember seeing some recent update, maybe like maybe five two. Is there some way of capturing the console output for uh, console commands now in Laravel? Well, I I was looking for that myself. I thought I saw that passing also some blocks that uh, that that was possible, but I I couldn't find it. It isn't mentioned in the documentation. I I, be, I I might be wrong, but I, I might have I might be as well. Maybe I miss uh, misread it, but I I thought it had something to do with command line output or something. So if there was a way to capture that when your commands run, I suppose it would be fairly simple to then email just the output of that to uh, to a yeah. user as part of your your job. And and just to clarify, for people who aren't that familiar with Laravel, uh, you know, a lot of folks I think are, are new to it. Um, in Laravel, there is a a scheduling system built in, and the way that that works is you you go out and you configure a single cron job, and the, the Laravel documentation tells you exactly how to do that because cron jobs can be very tricky. And if I remember, I think the cron job runs every sorry every minute or every second, and then uh, Laravel then keeps a you know keeps tabs of how often something should actually run when you schedule it within Laravel and it fires those things off. So that's what we're talking about. And by the way, if you happen to use Homestead or Forge, I believe that that cron job is already pre-configured for you as part of the the build out there. So um, yeah. so it really is not that difficult to set up some kind of cron job to get this thing running on a schedule. And and I think the email notification wouldn't be terribly too hard to do as long as you already have email set up in your Laravel install. Of course, you have to have the you know the provider and SMTP address and all that kind of stuff. If you're if you're using SMTP, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm busy working on the on the next version of that package and probably that uh, notification that will be included then. Oh, because, okay. Because it will it, it will be very handy, I think. Yeah. And you said this one's been out for over a year now, which is that's a pretty long time for a. Yeah. for a package I mean, this is a pretty mature package uh have you had to do a lot of updates on it or has it kind of been one of those like you released it and then moved on to other things and now you're kind of coming back for a second pass or it's it's a bit like that so okay. uh, i i made it i think uh, a little over a year ago and i was quite happy with it and then i made some some other things and and learned learned a lot and now when i'm when i'm looking at the backup package i see lots of room for improvement and now okay. i have a, a bit of time on my hands so I I will improve on uh, and, on this and the package. Although it's a year old, I, I want to say when did Laravel five come? I guess I guess Laravel five's been out for a year. So it's it is a Laravel five package, right? It's uh, yeah. It started out as a as a Laravel four package, and I had to do the uh, the copying to the different file systems uh, myself. But I re did a did a rewrite when Laravel five came out to make use of the 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 cloud file system because that was just too good. That's, not, it is not, really, not to use it. Yeah. It's a really neat, uh, a really neat service. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I want to thank you for being on the show. You've got, I don't know, how many packages do you have on your, on this website here? Cause there's an awful lot of them here. You've done a, just a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of open source work here. And I think that's fantastic. Thanks. So I'm sure we'll have to have you on the show again at some point. Um, do, do we have a count? How many is it? Is it 20? There's, there's oh, a lot I, of packages here. I think it's, it's, it's around 20 now. Yeah. yeah for, for, that's for an awful the, lot. For, for the Laravel ones, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you coming on to talk about this package, and I appreciate even more that you took your time to write this package and make it available to everybody. Uh, the name of the package is Laravel Backup, and uh, again, you can find out about that um, either at the website, which is uh, spatie.be slash open source slash Laravel, and then if you click on that, it, it takes you through to the GitHub project, and you can go ahead and download it uh, you know, from GitHub and play with it there, or you can just bring it in through Composer which I think is the preferred way. And there's instructions yeah. and everything on GitHub and, you know, the configuration files are kind of spelled out and everything. And it's a nice, it's a nice package. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye. Well, thanks again for being on the show. That was just awesome. So uh, the other solution that we said that, you know, I'd worked with and Eric, you've worked with this one as well is automatic, right? right so yeah, uh, Eric, it, do you want to share your experiences about automatic? Yeah, um, and just to, to be clear, it's O-T-T-O-M-A-T-I-K. But um, because what, what it is, is the way, the way you pronounce it is automatic. The WordPress company has a yeah. has a, a vault press or something like that that actually right. does backup. So so if you, if you don't clarify, it gets kind of confusing. Oh, good point, good point, yeah. But, um, but yes, I've used uh, automatic for the Laravel News website and basically for all my little side projects and... The reason I went with that was just because I wanted a simple way to take the backups off my server, and I didn't really want to deal with anything. I didn't want to set up anything. I just wanted to 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 be done, basically have it all automated. I, that mirrors my experience a hundred percent. I wanted to. I, I was. I, I feel like my code is kind of done enough that I think people can start to use it. Right? People can start to submit session talks and stuff. But you know, there's always that bit of doubt, like, okay, is this thing safe? Like, can some hacker come in and wipe out my database? So I wanted to, I, I needed backup, right? I felt like doing the open source thing, and we just talked with, and we just had that talk about the open source thing, which actually happened after I'd made my decision. But uh, I didn't want to have to spend another even like four hours or two hours or whatever it is that it takes you to go through a new package and download it and test it and understand it and all that stuff. Um, so the automatic thing actually, you know, was, it's pretty easy. It was it was maybe thirty minutes start to finish for me is how long it took me and gives me some peace of mind knowing that the thing is being backed up and I don't have to worry about it. And I just use their their ten dollar plan, which comes with a little bit of storage and that's more than enough to back up my data. So uh, I didn't even have to put in any any kind of S three credentials or anything like that. Um, See when I when I did when I started it was actually they only offered S three and. The, that was the biggest headache. The the app itself worked great. It was figuring out the S3 IAM rules and oh. the bucket policies and all this other stuff. Um, but, but of course, they outlined all the steps, but it's still, yeah. you know, for me, AWS and S3, all that stuff is just so confusing. It's like, so it, it is, yeah. So they've actually taken care of that now to where it literally is. I mean, I wouldn't quite say it's one click, but the process to, to, like for me that I took a week ago was, you uh, you sign up for the service. I don't even think you have to give them a credit card because they give you a free trial period, I think. And then you uh, they give you a single command that you type in, paste in, like you have to SSH into your server. You put this command in and then that thing just runs and grabs everything it needs. And then, you know, you can configure your backup jobs. Now, I thought it might, what might be helpful is to kind of compare and contrast this paid backup service with the free backup option, right? Because I think there are some, you know, some good differences to point out. The... Uh, the free one that we just heard about, uh, as you heard in the interview, doesn't do any kind of scheduling. So it it probably isn't too hard to schedule it because Laravel has a scheduler built in now, but that's extra code you'd have to write. You'd have to schedule that out, right? Um, the other big, big difference for me 
is that by paying for automatic, the backup service, automatic is going to send you or me emails when these jobs succeed or fail. Okay. And that's going to happen even if I mess up the email configuration on my server, because those emails are coming from their server, not from mine. For me, that's the biggest reason to use the commercial package. It's not so much even the ease of use, although that was probably the catalyst that got me to do it. But just this idea that if this, if for some reason the backups stop working, I know there's a third party disconnected from me and from DigitalOcean and all that stuff that's going to monitor that and send me a note. So I thought that was pretty, pretty important. Now, uh, the flip side is the, the $10 plan is kind of limited. So I could get, I could actually see a reason why you'd want both like the open source one on there for just firing off a quick backup before you do some system changes. Uh, and then using automatic as kind of a scheduled daily backup or weekly backup or what have you. Uh, but anyway, I think it's pretty exciting and I think it'll be a neat service to watch grow over the next year. Cause I'm, I think they're going to, it sounds like they've got some good plans for the service. Uh, the other thing I should, we should all, both of us should just kind of the caveat here. These services only back up. They don't restore, right? So it's it's not bad. If you lose everything, you've got your data, but you are it's not as easy as pushing a button and you get that data back, right? Like they I think they do a SQL dump file. And if you're not familiar with that, a SQL dump file basically creates a text file with instructions that you can feed back into SQL that will create all your tables and they will uh load all the data with insert statements. It's like one insert statement per record kind of thing. Uh it's not terribly hard to do. But it's not as easy as you know going to some web website and hitting a button that says restore to this you know revision kind of thing. I think that's it. I actually I kind of want to talk about the certificate that I bought because I'm kind of excited about that. I was gonna say you want to talk about the co- code of conduct. Have you read any of that? I I haven't. We can chat on it. I feel like it's almost like it, it's putting your like it's putting gasoline on the fire. Like there seems to be a pretty hot debate about that, and I'm like I'm more than happy to stay out of that. You know. Well, um, let, me, let me explain it. We'll see how this turns out. Okay. All right, so the PHP code of conduct on the PHP internals is kind of the hot um, debate going on the last week or two. Um, basically, what it is is somebody proposed a submitted an RFC, which is a re- request for comment on a particular code of conduct, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control. You had you know one side that was for it, one side that was against it. Let me let me ask you real quick: What is this a code of conduct for? Just to make sure that there's no, um, you know, abuse. Like I'm not abusing you through, you know, through my words and actions. But, and I'm but not, how does it how does it get enforced? Like, I, like I've I've heard of well, code see, of that, conduct that for events, right? But but how do you have like a code of conduct for like is it is it for the staff of the that maintain the PHP code or is it for? It's basically for everybody for the whole community using the php internals so if you're on the internals then basically you have to be i see okay okay but so that was kind of where it was what the the big argument between the two camps were is you know how is it going to be enforced the words that was in the code of conduct were kind of vague and you know could they be taken out of context and then at the same time you know i somebody can get kicked out of internals because of you know something they said elsewhere yeah um, so it's just kind of a whole thing going back and forth so but, where was the debate on this like i feel like in general we should all be good people and if people aren't good people um you know i don't know that it's such a bad thing to ask those folks to kind of go do their own thing um what was who, who would have thought that this was not a good idea or who would have thought this was bad well the basically the the opponents against it thought that they were trying to police um too strongly. Um, so if I go on Twitter and make a statement 
that you find offensive, could you take that to internals and say, look, I've seen this guy on Twitter making this offensive statement. It, you know, it could it could be not like directed directly towards you, but you find it offensive anyway. Yeah. You know, would that be grounds for banishment? Um, but for me, you know, you know, I, I agree that, you know, you should should be civil and all that stuff. But what I find interesting is is uh, the legal precedence behind it. You know, if say somebody gets kicked out and they decide this is wrong, I'm going to sue Zen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Zen, the company behind PHP. Um, you know, how would that that play out? And and I, I find that kind of interesting on if which I couldn't find any case law or anything when I tried to search for it um, on anything related. But but that would kind of be interesting to me is how that would actually play out in the legal system. If it's yeah. a binding contract or, you know, on all that. Gosh, but, I, I could hope nothing would ever get to that point. We'll have to see what happens. And yeah. And two, I was going to say kind of like um, if you go on Twitter and, you know, say you have a belief that is against the, um, the grand scheme of yeah. most people, you know, and, and people find it offensive, you know, that's my whole thing is just because you're, you're sharing what you believe, are you going to be punished because you for believe sure. that way? For sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where it stands now, I could see it totally against, you know, making actual threats and, and, and things like that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of either way, but it's just kind of funny that, but I think in all, it would be a good proposal that, you yeah, know, I don't well, really it'll be see. interesting to follow that one. Interesting to follow that one. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I think we have this week is I, I was so excited about this only because it was so cheap. I bought a wild card certificate for under 40 bucks this week, um, which is crazy because certificates are getting so cheap now. Like, you know, with uh, did you see, by the way, did you see the AWS announcement? Yeah, I was uh, just mentioned that the, the AWS has now got some deal where you can get free certificates if you're using Amazon Web Services for stuff. And there's also Let's Encrypt, which, uh, you know, Taylor's already jumped on and put into uh, Forge. So if you only need a single uh, domain, they don't do wildcards right now. Uh, you can get that for free. So it's just kind of interesting because really all along, all this has really been is data files on computers, right? And as a society, we've been using data files on other people's computers for free forever, right? That's what Google is. Uh, so that these certificates used to cost $300 a year uh, is just kind of crazy if you really think about it. So it's kind of interesting to see that they are now approaching zero and in some cases have already hit zero. You know, I wonder if we're ever going to get to a point where people are paying us to use certificates. I don't think so, but, <laughs> but that's the... Well, that's kind of like domain names. Remember when they first came out? It was like outrageous. And then I don't I don't remember how expensive they were. I remember they were hard to 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 do because of the paperwork you had to go through. But I don't remember how much I paid for it back. In, and I got my first domain names were in like 97, I think. So, uh, you know, it was it was a long time ago, but it, there are people that have had them for five years more. Did you ever hear, by the way, about that Nissan.com website? Have you ever gone mm-hmm. there? So uh, we were looking for a car a couple of years ago and, you know, you just type in Ford.com type in nissan.com it doesn't go to nissan the car company it goes to like some guy and he's got like some whole thing about how he's been sued and all this stuff he apparently his last name is nissan Uh and he apparently registered the domain name nissan like back in the day i don't know for, for those of you who are young you might not know this when nissan entered the u.s market they branded themselves as datsun so if you ever see a real old movie you might see like a datsun pickup truck that is today that's nissan right and I think maybe at the time they were actually always Nissan Motors, but for whatever reason, they branded themselves as Datsun. So at that time, uh, this guy had registered you know, his own family name. It's like me. I have fru.com, right? Uh, they registered his own family name 
to use for his family businesses, which carried his name. And at the time it was Dotson. And then like Nissan came around and they changed their, their name to uh, Nissan. And, and, and then they like sued him and they sued him for like millions of dollars of damages and all this kind of stuff. Right. And I, I feel kind of bad for the guy. I think it's a situation. I don't understand all the pieces. You have to imagine that at some point they said, we really would like to buy your name. You know what I mean? And he must have given them the middle finger or something. You know, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, that's not on his website. But what is on his website is all the stuff that they've done, you know, to try to bankrupt this guy and all this stuff. Like, it's just, it's just horrible. Like, it's, it's really shameful kind of stuff. And when you read it, it makes you really never want to buy a, a Nissan car again. But again, I don't know the story. If, if the company is willing to spend that much money on litigation, I don't understand why they wouldn't have been willing to spend that much money just to give him, you know, just to get him to give up the name in the first place. Right. Like, like I'll be honest with you. Like I, I have free.com. I, you know, I've had it for years. It's registered like 20 years out in the future. Like my kids will get it when I move on, but somebody offers me like a million dollars for it. Like we're going to have to go to Gmail. You know what I mean? Like that, (laughs) like that's, that's, that's not even like a decision, right? Like I don't, you know, um, and the company that this guy was running, it looked like it was like a little computer company. It's not like the guy was Michael Dell or something like that. So, uh, Anyway, interesting side note on uh, on domains and all that stuff. Uh, I think that wraps up our episode. So thanks again, as always, for listening. Uh, we come out with these every other week right now. So uh, we'll see you all again in two weeks. And if you have any questions for us, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Jack Frew. And Eric, you're at Eric L, uh, as in Larry Barnes. Although I, I, I never actually, I don't even know what his middle name is. So it, could, it might not be Larry. It probably isn't. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> join us Join us in two weeks to find out what Eric's middle name is. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening. Wow, you're still listening, huh? That's fantastic. Hey, on behalf of Eric and myself, thank you so much for listening not only to our episode, but to the whole thing. This was a long one, too. 42 minutes, and then you're still here even after the outro music played. So that's uh, that's dedication. We appreciate that. Uh, I think that, that dedication ought to be rewarded with a little explanation on what the heck was in the beginning of this episode. So at the very beginning, we mentioned something about Ian Landsman and uh, the shower, right? So what happened there was after... Our last episode went out. He tweeted that he was listening to it in the shower, and I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, at first, I was kind of like, you know, raised eyebrow, like, huh? But uh, if you think about it, it actually, it actually makes a lot of sense because it allows you to multitask, right? You're, you're going to take a shower anyway. Why not knock out a little bit of a podcast every day while you're getting ready for work? So seemed like a pretty smart idea. Anyway, just want to say thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.